Welcome back, everyone, to Broadcaster Hour. I'm Roger Hoover alongside Kyle Crooks. Typically, at this time, we have a guest in the center of the screen, but Kyle, this is part of what's going to be a little bit of a break for us over the next two weeks. Uh, one of us is rather busy with something other than sports. Yeah, that's right. Somebody's getting married. Somebody's ruining the flow of our podcast to get married, but... Congratulations to Roger. He uh, is stepping away to get married and uh, also excited for sports coming back in the SEC as well. So exciting time for you, and I'm excited for you, my friend. Well, thank you, Kyle. It means a lot to hear that. So uh, for the next two weeks, we're going to not be having a guest, but we will be hearing from a lot of our guests. What we're going to do are a couple of best of episodes. And the first one coming up today, we will have the best of preparation, best of prep, as we're going over some of the great answers we've had to some of our questions from a lot of different guests showing what's important for them, maybe on a football or a basketball spot chart, or if they're getting ready for a Major League Baseball game. Kyle, it's crazy. We've had now over 20 episodes over 20 great guests and we've learned so much from everyone that's already been on this show yeah it's and it's interesting roger because everyone has changed so much in how they prepare right so you have the joe davis the adam amines who who go with the online template and then you have you know the neil prices who we had on last week who you know he he draws a lot of the stuff he, he hand writes a lot of the stuff that he does so it's it's so different in how a lot of you know different announcers go about their process and selfishly we like to you know pick and prod their brains for every single thing they do and it's it's interesting in every sport because football basketball baseball it's all drastically different for everybody and um it's it's exciting every week to to see all the spot charts see all the artwork you know one that stands out to me is um tim brando and and just how how everything is handwritten everything is colorful everything looks like an art project for him so um, there's a lot of guys that you just sit and you marvel at their process, but that's where everything starts, right? You know, people don't just, everyone thinks you just pop on the air and you're, you're able to do the job. And that's, that's not the case. It all starts with the week of preparation, whether it's, you know, some guys watch film, some guys don't, you know, some guys read a lot of articles. Some guys just like the, the face to face communicate communication with their coaches or their analysts. So it's, it's interesting to see how everybody from a week-to-week basis certainly changes in their preparation. When you think about what a spotting chart is, it's basically the roster. You're basically getting all the stats, and then you're getting any notes. So you're taking a look at a lot of things, trying to combine everything into just one really easy-to-use chart and system for game day. And sometimes I think as broadcasters, I know I've been guilty of this. I imagine you'd say the same as well, and I know you'll say the same because I've seen your spot charts. Sometimes you just try to build and build and build, cram and cram and cram as much as you stuff in there. I love what Joe Davis said, and we'll get to that coming up in this episode, but really simple and rememberable stuff is just so much better sometimes than having everything on one page. And that's what he called, right, Roger, the messy desk syndrome is when you throw, and man, am I guilty of this? (laughs) Same here. (laughs) Uh, You've seen seen my charts. They're absurd, and it's, it's part of like this obsessive thing I have with trying to have every single thing on a legal sheet of paper and it just can't happen that way sometimes you just have to memorize some things and that just goes with reading articles and i think the handwriting part of it actually physically writing things down can eliminate a lot of that messy desk syndrome on your chart if you have notes off to the side it's interesting because you know i'll ask guys how do you prepare for stories right you have the bare bones on charts, 
But what I like to figure out is if you're telling a story beginning, middle to end uh, on a TV broadcast, there's more space to do that on TV than there is on radio. How do you make sure you give that story justice and have all the facts of that story, right? So you're not going to be able to fit a lot of that on a 11 by 17 spotting chart. You have to have other places to put that. So what I've learned a lot about is, one, not trying to clutter every single bio note that you have on a chart, but also have off to the side certain bullet points and things that you want to touch on. It, Joe Davis is big on, and West Durham, I know West Durham has those index cards, which are very big for him. And I believe Joe Davis said he had a like list of things that he wants to touch on, like what's storyline what chart offensively, defensively. Mm-hmm. There's so many different ways, Roger, that you can sort through all this information that you just don't have have to have that messy desk syndrome. And that's the, one of the biggest things I've learned for sure. Yeah, that was a really big takeaway for me and something that I'm going to think about for my next broadcast coming up. You know, Joe talked about not only just memorizing the names and numbers and really having that, uh, but he also talked about just memorizing a headline. You know, he was able to look at me and say, you know, I met Roger Hoover and he was with the Tennessee Smokies. If you're able to instantly look at a player and instantly have a quick headline, quick sentence about somebody, just think about how much that changes you watching the field, watching the monitor versus looking at your chart, if you can just know it. So that was one of my big takeaways from all the guests we've had. Is there anything else that in talking about preparation that you've heard that you'll try to incorporate into your next broadcast? I think some of the best episodes are, you know, like you look at Adam Amin's episode and I'm sure we'll have a lot of that in, in these best of episodes. But the one thing I've started to do, and we mentioned how baseball is more of a storytelling type medium. And what I've started to use over the last couple of years and what you've used is Microsoft OneNote. Mm-hmm. So when I mention how do you try and find ways to bullet point stories have, there's just, it's too hard for baseball and softball to, because it's every day to turn over spotting charts and things like that. So using Microsoft OneNote for me, learning how to use that through Joe, seeing what Joe Davis does, seeing what Adam Amin does, and then having kind of the old school philosophy of having guys like Chip Carrion, who doesn't necessarily need all of that junk. And that's that's a good thing too. I think it's, it's a good, when you have that 30,000 foot view of what old school guys do and what new, new school guys do, and you can mesh that, combine that to, to benefit yourself in a selfish way, I think that um, that's a great thing that we've learned in this podcast is there's, there's really no one way to do all of this. And again, selfishly, we, we pick and prod, take so many different things from so many different guys. So that's been the best part about this. And I do love that there is really a through line. You know, one of our guests is Bob Kessling. And when I was in college, when I was a freshman in college, I used to sit next to him as he'd call some TV baseball games for the University of Tennessee. And one of the cool things he had were he had index cards full of every player with like one hole in the corner and a ring around it. And he would just go round and round through the lineup. And there were bullet points on each player. And now you think of it, everybody that uses OneNote is kind of using it. What Bob was putting on the index cards It's the same thing on these OneNote. So, you know, a lot of preparation is universal. And I think coming up in this episode, we're going to hear from a lot of different broadcasters, but a lot of these things are pretty universal. And Kyle, are not going to change as time goes on because these are the best methods. Yeah. I mean, and if, if you're an old school guy who does it a certain way, you're not 
going to change. And like you look 20 years from now, Roger, right? We'll probably have so much more technology and how to prepare and how to sort things. And we'll be the guys saying that we are not switching from Microsoft OneNote. We are not switching from our 11 by 17 legal charts. We are not going to do it. So, you know, maybe one day we'll be those guys that have that old school type of method. It's just, it is fun to see. And football is a big one for both of us. You know, we don't get to do it at mm-hmm. our levels yet. Um, but to see the, the differing spotting charts, that's such a, a fun, th- one of the, you know, the best things about Twitter is on a game day, watching play-by-play guys tweet out the view from the booth with their spotting chart underneath. And I love to see how Eli Gold's spotting chart to me was, that's something that I want to try to shift more towards. I have right now a messy desk syndrome that we've talked about when it comes to a football chart of handwriting, a lot of things. But I think Eli Gold has everything so neat, everything so perfectly planned out. And, you know, when it's time to call demo games or whatever, I'll go back to that episode and I'll look at, okay, what exactly, how does Eli have everything sorted? Um, What kind of stats is he using? And making sure, too, that it's not messy for your spotter or statistician, whoever you may be working with, because they'll need that chart just as much as you do. And we've learned that in, in these episodes, too. Yeah, and one quick thing on Eli, and I was blessed. I got to sit in the booth with him all throughout football season last year in Alabama. You know, one of the things I did in my spotting chart was, especially for the demo games I was calling, I took off the offensive linemen having their own little blocks and sections because I just had offense down one side with the skill players who were going to touch the ball, defense in the middle, and then notes on the other side. But when I watched Eli call the game, and I watched his spotter, Butch Owens, who has spotted every game that Eli's called for the Crimson Tide, So many times, Butch will point to, say, Alex Leatherwood, Alabama's left tackle. He'll point to him. He'll point down on the chart. Let's see if I can get it in front of the camera. There we go. Point down on the chart, and then he'll go like this if it was like a good run for Najee Harris, and that meant it was like the key block was Leatherwood. And again, Butch uses that little hand motion like that. So, you know, that's, again, something you just learn, and uh, that's why, you know, and Eli, too, knowing him as well, he still loves to tinker with his charts after yeah. all these years. You know, he had a new basketball chart that he debuted for his SEC Network games last year. So the fun part of it is when we had these broadcasters over the spring and summer, this is the prep they have now. But know that they may change as time goes along, too. And that's okay. That's what we do. Yeah, I mean, just tinker. And we're, we're all continuing to work on our craft and it's it's so cool to see guys that have been at a certain spot for 30 plus years like Eli Gold or you know a a guy like Bob Kessling who's been at Tennessee for a long time and see that they're always consistently trying to get better and trying to tinker with things so we ask our question you know what's our excuse you know if if we're not (laughs) trying to continue to go back and listen through work and and analyze what we can do better to consolidate information that's easier for us to to say on a broadcast um you know those are the things that we're learning and and we've been lucky to have some pretty great guests in that regard yeah we certainly have been learning so right now just sit back relax because we have the best of preparation especially looking at spotting charts and uh any notes that these broadcasters have getting ready for a broadcast the best of is coming up next here on broadcaster hour uh, this was Kansas City against Houston, and this would be the the Kansas City offense. Offensive line, wide receivers to the side, kicker, punter, quarterbacks, running backs, flip the chart, set up in a defensive alignment with the defensive front, the linebackers, and the secondary, and notes 
on each player, every player, there has to be something. It's just, for me, maybe a superstition that someone gets injured and I don't have anything. Obviously, you've got the height, you've got the weight, you've got age, you've got hometown, you've got how they were acquired, what school they went to, what year they're in, what team they previously played for. It's all color-coded. And this is all done by hand. Same version for the Houston Texans. I make the chart from scratch. From there, there'll be a secondary chart with just news and notes from that game. And that's going to be full by the end of the week. I start this process with just a piece of loose leaf paper, jotting down note after note after note. And then eventually by Sunday, it makes its way into a better form on a manila folder like this. Kansas City Chiefs, 4-1, 19-13 loss to Indianapolis on Sunday night. Was it an aberration? That's just a little note that I wrote next to it. Just to remind myself, at the point that that game was played, they were undefeated. They lost to the Colts. They were held to 324 yards. They had 11 penalties for 125 yards. They haven't lost back-to-back home games since 2013. That was Andy Reid's first season. It's the 11th all-time meeting between these two teams. Chiefs have won four of the last five. They've scored four touchdowns in their last nine quarters. They had scored 12 touchdowns in their first 11 quarters. On and on. How much of this makes air? If you have a great game, not a lot. If the game goes south, the number goes up. Then I'll have another sheet. This is just from our production meetings with the teams. This is with Houston, with Bill O'Brien, with Deshaun Watson, with Will Fuller, and with J.J. Watt, and with Deshaun Gibson. Kansas City, same deal. With Andy Reid, with Patrick Mahomes, with Travis Kelsey. And that's it. It's it's a lot. Yeah. It uh, It probably is more than I need. But it's what I'm comfortable with, and it helps get me ready for the game. How often am I going to this and referring to it in-game? Not a lot. I find during the process a lot of it is absorbed in my brain, and that's why I can instinctually work it in when it's appropriate and not just searching for something on my board and saying something randomly because I feel like I need to fill the airtime. It's... It's supposed to be uh, a feel process. It's supposed to be in the flow of conversation. And the hope is this kind of preparation can produce that on the air. All right, we've gotten to our favorite part of the show and we're talking about prep and we're talking about charts. Uh, If you're talking some football, uh, what's important for you to have on your football chart and how's it organized? Uh, Okay, well, I've got two different kinds and I'm glad you called me to go get these. Um, all right. First of all, this is a preseason chart for the NFL and it's a mess, but you try and keep the same preseason chart. That's the offense. And there's the defense. Um, now once we get to the regular season in the NFL, it kind of looks like this. 
Okay. It's much more condensed than you're going to say in a second. You're going to say, wow, that looks like a college chart. And you're right. Um, because the college chart, and this is a TV game, so it's not nearly as advanced from note situation because in, in, in TV, it's the analyst game in radio. It's the play by play guys game. So the TV chart in college is basically, you know, same type deal for me, the, uh, Basic facts and filaments of the game in football become this. Uh, I have to have this in front of me, take down. And that's a drive chart and a scoring summary. And this is, if you're saying, well, where'd you come up with that? This is stolen from my dad. He had a drive chart and a scoring summary. And it helps you just keep track of how many times the teams had the ball, where they started from. I've expanded it now to where I put notes on there about red zone or turnover margins or things like that. I also do uh, one of these every week, and that's a game card. It's basically, and this is the Falcons and Saints, so it's how many times they've met. It's team stats right here. Uh, what, what else is on the schedule? What have they done? Notes about the series, things like that. I mean, it's, it's pretty elaborate, and it's all color-coded because I'm that guy in your neighborhood who has to have everything a certain color, and I have lots of torn-up cards. I also do individual team cards. And if you see it highlighted, that means they lead the team and are probably ranked in the NFL in that particular category, which is good. Um, and here's the Saints. And if it's in red, you see it highlighted in red on the Saints card, that's what they did the first time they played. So, you know, you kind of get an idea of, of how it sets up. Um, also on radio, and Roger, you know Chris Stewart, so he may have told mm -hmm. you about this. This is the written play-by-play -play I keep in front of me during every game. And I have a system that it's kind of rogue, to be honest, but it allows me to keep third downs on the fly. It allows me to keep drives, summaries like that. I transfer the scoring summary, obviously, to the other card, but it also allows me to go back and say, you know, like Atlanta had the ball for 16 plays and punted three times, and then on the fourth drive they ran four plays after an interception and scored their first touchdown, you know, that kind of thing. It, it just allows me to communicate the game quicker. Getting into some of the preparation side of the business for a Fox college football game on a Saturday. Can you take us through your week of preparation and what's most important to you, especially what's most important to have on your board? Yeah. Um, I say that I, I like to say that with football and basketball, if somebody gave me an assignment and said, you got to do this game tonight, you've only got a few hours to get ready. I would spend my time almost exclusively, just given a few hours, on memorizing names and numbers. Because if you're not A-plus on delivering, you know, number 26's name is, I'm looking at a board I have laying here, Sidney Jones. If I don't know that like I know your name is Roger, I'm not going to be at my best. I don't have a chance to be as, as smooth as I can possibly be. So that's the biggest thing, and I'm doing that all week. Everybody has different ways of memorizing things. I like to write the numbers down left-hand column and quiz myself, kind of go down the page and, and write the names, and then I'll do the same thing. I'll write the numbers. I'll do it again, and I have notebooks filled with names and numbers just as I try to memorize. And then um, I also try to memorize a headline for each player, at least the guys that are going to touch the ball or on defense, just about everybody. So... I'm not just nailing, you know, that I see your face and know you're Roger, but I'm also saying, you know, met him when I when he was with the Tennessee Smokies. You know, like a fact to introduce him with that can 
come without me looking down and searching to find it. I think to really be at your best, you've got to have those couple things. The immediate ID and the enough knowledge to immediately introduce. Give me something about this guy. So that's a priority. And for some guys, that's all there's going to be. I don't want to have all this prep and all these stories just for the sake of having these stories and having this prep and feeling comforted by having a bunch of fine print on my board. I think that I did that early on. And the problem with that is I feel like I'm sitting at a messy desk, you know, like you get, you pour all this information and you get so much, so much information to absorb during the week. It's great. But if you don't prioritize it, for me, I would get into the game and be like, okay, holy crap, I got all this stuff, but where is it? Well, I, I know I read a story about this guy, but who, which guy was it? And I'd finish the game and I'd be like, God, I didn't even talk about the most important thing for that guy. I didn't even say that the team was looking for its first championship in however many years. That's the important thing. So finding a way to take all this information and narrow it down, refine it, and have your headlines. That's for the individual players, but it's also for the teams. I spend the week having a, a putting together a, what I call a storyline chart, where I split the page in half, one team on one side, one team on the other, a headline for each, you know, looking for their first six-game winning streak in five years. On the other side, trying to move into first place in the division. Under that, maybe a, a headline about what their last game was, anything noteworthy from that. For football, I then do an offensive headline and a defensive headline and vice versa. And I'll introduce the groups with that. And that's something that I'll kind of go back to throughout the game as you know, to update those key headlines and key storylines coming in. And then, you know, you fill in the rest of the time with some of the minutiae, some of the, the deep dive stories. But again, I'm not doing that on every single player. I'm reading everything I can find, but finding a way to sift through it and, and prioritize what I need to know and what the listener needs to know. And you mentioned you had a board there. Could you hold that up to the camera so yeah. you can see what you're looking with, working with? Yeah, I ran up to the attic and grabbed the first one I could find. It's completely random. It's Washington and Arizona State, I think, three years ago. Um, so I've got just a legal size folder. Arizona State offense, Washington defense, and vice versa. And I'll zoom it in so you can see a little more closely what I've got. Um, Jake Browning, just to give you an example of what I was talking about with having a headline. Can you guys see that? We can. That, that looks good. Yeah. Okay. Um, so started career four and five, 12 and one since mid-November last year. That at that point was kind of the story. He came in as a freshman and struggled Chris Peterson's first year. They're about 500, but now they've turned into the best program in the Pac-12 with what he's done since he kind of settled in. Um, let's see, LeVon Coleman. So I've got it highlighted there in the extra bold font, nine yards of carry. So the first time LeVon Coleman touches the ball, I'm going to know it's LeVon Coleman, like I'm going to know my mom's name. I'm going to see 22. I'm going to, I'm going to know that's LeVon Coleman. And I'm going to know, how do I tell you who LeVon Coleman is? Beyond who he is, who is he, right? Here's LeVon Coleman, nine yards per carry. If I'm listening, whoa, okay, I know this dude's a big play threat. Same thing with Miles Gaskin. First carry of the day for Miles Gaskin. More than 1,000 yards on the season. That's enough to get me going. You see that's highlighted in red, and I color code everything. But all I really highlight, you know, you flip it over, 
Arizona State defense. All I really highlight in yellow is that headline that I'm, I'm going to be prepared to introduce the player with. So something as simple as you see DJ Calhoun, the leading tackler. I now know who DJ Calhoun is, more or less. And as the game goes on, I'm going to get deeper into it. You know, I've got more detailed stories on the guys as you as you dive in deeper into the board. But just the ability to uh, to be able to introduce who the guy is, and that's the individual player side of it. Um, I've got stat categories. I highlight good ones in yellow, bad ones in blue. Um, little sections here on you know the the group as a whole this is the section i think that's probably evolved most for me through the years that used to be filled with information about the unit but i don't know i i just found that that was like the messy desk syndrome do i need all that i know it from reading it do i really need to have it all bogged down on here um, but again it's still I, I haven't figured it out I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out still evolving the way i do it all the time and when you want to also, when you have your coaches' meetings and things like that, is there are you putting that on your board? Or is that a separate yeah. area uh, where you're putting all that extra information? Yeah, so kind of the whole week, Kyle, for me, goes into this board. From the time that I get the two deeps on Sunday night or Monday morning or whenever I begin it, all my prep gets thrown into that board. And then the last thing I do is clean it up and prioritize. And that even in some cases involves deleting stuff that's just too much and that I, I know I don't need. It's overkill. Um, so, yeah, I, I've got my computer out during the coaches' meetings. Sometimes those are – we'll do a conference call with a visiting team during the week, like Wednesday. A lot of times we'll do them in their hotel on Friday when we get to the site. Pretty much always do the home team on site Friday morning. And I'm, I'm typing in notes, and it's still not real pretty yet as I'm typing those notes in. But I'm also typing those notes in through the week as I'm reading articles each day, as I'm reading the game notes, as I'm going through the media guide and going back and reading all the long feature articles about guys from their, from their career. Uh, but, yeah, right up until typically, say we have our last meeting Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Well, from 3 until dinner at 7 I'm really honing it all in, cleaning these boards up, exporting them to PDF, sending them off to get printed, and then the following morning before the game, uh, following afternoon, depending on what time of day the game is, I then do all this highlighting, which is kind of my last like sit down, take a deep breath, really focus, and and start to get that game face on, get the mind in, in uh, correct position to be able to go through and highlight what's important. And when you meet your analyst at whatever city you're calling a game, yeah. how much film are you watching any film with your analyst as they break down the X's and O's? You kind of soak that in as well. So you know that when you see something happen or they want to replay and they want to go in a certain direction, you know what they've seen on tape and they've talked about before the game. Yeah, I have. I've done a little bit of that. There's not it's not part of my process necessarily because it's not been a part of any of my analyst process, I don't think where they want me there to like explain it, but I think it happens um, throughout the week. We discuss those things through email. You know, so currently my partner's Brock Hewitt, he'll send me a clip or two that he finds as uh, important and, and noteworthy. And I know that he's going to be focused. I will send that on Tuesday as he's breaking down films. So it's kind of an ongoing conversation throughout the week. 
And along those lines as well, getting ready for a broadcast uh, with this football, you're always getting ready, you know, a week-long preparation for a big game, a three-hour, four-hour broadcast. But in terms of your Dodgers work for baseball, it's every day. Sometimes there are quick turnarounds, but you're still putting on a three to four, sometimes even longer show in front of a huge audience. Just what's the production kind of meeting schedule like for the Dodgers day-to-day? How much are you guys doing that during the season? I don't. I, I should find out who said this because I use this all the time. But somebody said you prepare a week to call a football or basketball game. You prepare your whole life to call a baseball game, and it's kind of true, right? Like everything you've ever read and all the stories you've ever heard, there's a chance that that stuff comes up on a given night in baseball, um, because it's every single day. I think that our one of the great things about our producer Mike Levy is he understands that getting too regimented in terms of meetings and and schedules, it's going to kill you. It's going to drive you into the ground. It's not going to kill you. Right. I mean, we're we're still talking about baseball. It's, it's, it's not hard. Um, but to be at your best and really have a smile on your face in some of those dog days, it's important. I think Mike realizes to not have too much of a regimented schedule. He'll swing into the booth, three 30, four o'clock and say, Hey, uh, what do you think about this for the open tonight? We'll talk about this, right? And Oral and I probably say, yeah, that sounds great. Or maybe we have an idea. Why don't we do this instead? Good. And then you, because you do it so often, the stuff, once you get into the game, and this goes back to the benefit of having a relationship with the producer that builds over the years, you kind of just know where one another's going in that prep. Um, And then individually, the prep for baseball for the Dodgers, a lot of it is living the season. And the previous day, having been there and called that, that's a big part of it. I also spend time each morning reading all the articles from the night before and just making sure that, you know, I'm kind of thinking along with the narratives that are out there, the storylines that are out there, making sure I'm not missing anything in my own mind and my own observations of the game. Um, And, you know, I think it's important to be around the cage most days, not every day, get down there and talk with the players and I'm not necessarily going down there like looking for a quote or looking to get something. You kind of let it happen. Again, playing the long game. If you're down there 162 days in a row with a notepad and a pen, you're going to be a nuisance. And I never want to be a nuisance to the guys I'm covering. So I let those relationships develop and let the let the information come through on a, on a semi-regular basis through that route. Um, I do starting pitchers for each night's game, really do a lot of work on that. I typically do that when I get home for the next day. So 7 o'clock game at Dodger Stadium, get back home at 11 o'clock that night, spend an hour on the next day's starting pitchers, and have those ready to go. So the following day when I wake up, I'm more focused on the bigger picture. Yeah, and that's where I was going to go next. Uh, for you, you know, we all, when we started in the minor leagues, everybody had the Bob Carpenter scorebook. Everyone was really focused on making that book as shined as much as it could be. I know I got in that trap a lot early on, but uh, for you, I know now, you basically just keep score with what's printed out for the media, and then a lot of yep. your news and notes is all in your OneNote. Can you kind of take us through what's important yeah. you have in OneNote? Yeah, I have everything in OneNote. It's like my baseball brain in digital form. Um, I'm assured that so you, like, you can't back the thing up apparently, but I'm assured it's fine up in the cloud. My God, it better be because if that <laughs> thing goes, I might quit. Um, so you're right. I, I started scoring. I had a score book my first as as recently as my first year doing Dodger games, but starting in 17 uh, or actually late in 16, I gave it a try. I went to just the score sheet that's produced in 
as, as standard across every major league press box. And it's, it, I kind of looked at it as the first few games, almost like jumping in the pool without floaties for the first time. Like, oh, God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to swim. I might need these floaties to swim. But you get in, you're like, wait a minute. I'm good, and this is comfortable. I don't need these. So what I found is I spend so much time reading this stuff. I spend so much time preparing. I don't need every little detail bogged down on my scorecard. And this freed me up. It freed me up just mentally having a clean sheet in front of me and allowing my brain to work as opposed to being a prisoner to what's on my score sheet and on my scorebook. And it freed me up just from a, a time budgeting standpoint. There's a lot of busy work that goes into filling those score sheets out. And so when I'm, instead of spending an hour writing all the names and numbers in there, I'm spending an hour talking to players and coaches. I'm spending time talking to the manager, I'm talking to the other broadcasters, stuff that would be devoted to filling out that scorebook if I hadn't made the decision to go to this process. Joe, what, what percentage of what makes the air do you think is from those conversations day of? Because when you're a team announcer in baseball, you're there every day, and sometimes it can be hard, maybe not for the Dodgers, but to find certain storylines to keep it fresh. So that's a way to keep it fresh, right? Continue to have those conversations day of. Yeah, exactly. Oral and I always say, because there are some days we're like, oh, are we going down today? I don't know. You know, we're, we're tired. Are we really going to go down to batting practice? We're always glad when we do. We always come back saying, you know what? That's the best thing we got for tonight. That five-minute conversation we just had with Max Muncy, that's the best stuff we're going to have. Without fail, that, that winds up being the case. When you invest that time to go learn, the, get the intel down by the cage or in the manager's office, it's always worth it. I'm always, I mentioned this a minute ago, cognizant of not being a nuisance. Probably, I probably lean too far towards that. I don't want to get in the guy's ways. I don't, I don't want to be somebody who's like, why, what do you need? I probably worry too much about that and could be more aggressive getting the, getting the extra information because that's our job, right? Like we're, we're a liaison between, we have that access that the fans at home don't. And especially now with how much great stuff there is on the internet, fan graphs and We all know about Baseball Reference and Baseball Savant and all these websites where anybody can access the numbers and the facts. What they can't do is they can't walk up to Cody Bellinger at the cage and ask him how his swing's feeling. So the more of that that I can do, the better. I think that the more that I'm able to bring something of value if if I'm doing those things. John went to law school, got his law degree, never practiced law, but he prepared uh, the games as if he was going to go, you know, battle a court, uh, go to the Supreme Court and try and win a case. And I mean, he had, he had a, basically a, a, a board in front of him, clipboard in front of him, and he'd have a stack of notes about that big. And periodically during the game, he'd flip through those notes. Now I bet he didn't use 30% of them, but he still had those notes in front of him. So you, and they were typewritten. So you knew all week, all he was doing was making sure he had the information in case there was something came up during the broadcast, he would need that little nugget. But his preparation was unbelievable. He was the most prepared broadcaster I've ever been around. But that was his style. That's how he thought he needed to do things. And most of his pregame uh, and it was all scripted out because that's, that's just the way he did it. And uh, 
I'm totally different from that. I can't script anything because I, I think you need to be more, I, I need to be more spontaneous. Uh, but there are other guys that script everything. And so it just depends on how, you know, if you're more comfortable uh, with that script in front of you, then do it. But if you're not, you know, you got to be, again, you got to be yourself. Basically, when I get on a plane Sunday from where I'm at, I start prepping for the next game. And so I'm going through, I have a database that I keep on all the teams. And so I save notes and save things like throughout the year on every team. So, um, you know, I just start reading a ton. Sunday night, Monday, I just read a ton and go back and go through my database and just take notes, um, read articles, everything I get my hands on. Tuesday, I start watching some of their past games, see what they're doing, see who's playing, um, see like, you know, what personnel packages they use, see maybe the storylines that the other broadcasters have done the last week or two, because I don't want to necessarily repeat those to death because, you know, you're while you're getting every week, the games go to different areas of the country. They're also going to the diehard fan bases. So you don't want to bludgeon the same storyline to death. So just paying attention to stuff like that. And then Wednesday, I'll usually start working on my stuff. So Wednesday, um, I have uh, my friend Matt Park from Syracuse who helps put these boards together for me, like the the skeleton version. He does a great job with it. And and then I, I go through and I, I go, I mean, you know, I go through all my notes through the things that the team send and just flat out Google and put things that I think are interesting in there. I mean, the things that I wouldn't say there's a specific thing for each player that I have. Each player is a little different. Like I, you know, I, I, I go more for storylines. So I'm not just jamming a million stats in there. I'm going, you know, for what they were, did they lead the league or the last two games have they had 20 catches or, um, you know, what's their backstory? Um, my biggest thing is having, by the time the game rolls around, having something on every player because, inevitably the last person on the roster will, you know, block a field goal and return it for a touchdown. And you have to know who that is. So, you know, Wednesday I'm grinding on that Thursday, grinding on that. Usually Thursday we fly out to the cities and then Friday morning we go to the home team's practice and we get access to their coaches and players, which is great. I mean, we get a lot of insight there. Saturday we do the visiting team and then Saturday night we have a big production meeting with our crew. So we go over, video what we have on tap video for the game that we can use we don't have to but some of the special like things that our crew has made during the week graphics we go over all those uh graph uh, so we go through all these uh graphics and, and and everything and then we just talk about it, like hey do we like this do we like that you know if i'm like ah, i don't love that graphic because i think it's i don't really think it's in you know displays how they've been playing or whatever we toss it so and then like and then we're ready for the game we wake up and do the game and it's it's like studying for a midterm if you studied and like you're ready, the game is a blast and it's fun. Like you're ready to go. And there's just constant communication. The difference with radio and TV is radio, you're just, it's you basically. And in television, it's a team, like constant communication, your analyst, sideline person, producer, director, people are constantly talking to each other. What do, you, what do we want to do next? All right, after this play, we're going to do this. We've got a game break here. We're going to roll this packages. And after this play, if it's not a big play. It's just constantly like talking, like to make the broadcast good. So the team element is really, really fun. But Dan, the bottom line is the preparation doesn't stop. You know, I stop it Saturday night because otherwise you, you could just go over the clip. You could just read, you know, and watch to the cows come home um, because the information is overload. So I Saturday night when I go to bed, that's the end of it. I don't prep at all Sunday morning. I just show up to the game. Uh, that's kind of the way to clear my mind. When you guys talk to the athletes that you cover too, you experience some of this where you're keeping a track. Okay. 
that's what they said. I can use that and I can bridge it to tell this story and it can add to this story that I want to tell later on in the broadcast. So I'm constantly thinking, like if I was talking to Ty Harris, who was the point guard for South Carolina, if she tells me something about Aaliyah Boston, um, you know, I can remember that, write it down and add it to something later on in the broadcast when it comes up. That's kind of, I think that's the fun part. It's like putting it together a puzzle when you're doing the game because you want to, Obviously, the first thing is to document the game, make sure we see what happens. But then you can weave in these stories that you've found um, by talking to players, by talking to the coaches, by just being around the team all season. Um, and that's kind of an insight that other people don't get to see. The viewers don't get to see every day. They're not going to practices. So that's one of the things that I love, too. And sometimes those stories can get you can get them mixed up in your head. Um, like there's so many different things I want to do. So this year I thought it was really great. Our crew, um, we started doing a card. So I had a note card and my producer, Lori Mancini and I, before each game, we would say, what are the stories you want to get in? And I would write down a bullet point and she has the same card in front of her in the truck. So if there's an opportunity, I'm not going to force anything in. If a story doesn't fit, then you can't put it, you can't tell it, maybe save it for another game. But if there's something on that card that I really want to talk about and I see an opportunity to do it, I'm going to put it in and then we would check it off the list. Um, just, it's a little reminder because as you guys know, sometimes you get caught up in the game, you're thinking about something else and you, you kind of forget about those stories that you wanted to tell before. So that was a really good way um, this year that I think that we were able to get some stories in. And if she saw an opportunity and I wasn't thinking about it, she could get in my ear and say, hey, don't you want to tell this story right here? And I'm like, oh, absolutely I do, yes. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a good way and that really helped me um, to kind of refocus on what the big storylines were. This is the chart for Alabama and, and Michigan, okay? That's the game, the, uh, the, the bowl game last year. Uh, I don't know how well you can see things here, but here's quarterback Mac Jones. Above it, it says 6'2", 205, RSSO. So he's a 6'2", 205-pound redshirt sophomore. It says Jacksonville, Florida. Then it says Bowles, B-O-L-L-E-S, in parentheses. That's his high school's name. And I have his that the same for every player. Then I have L is last game. The statistics right here. Last game, which would have been the Auburn game, 26 of 39, 66.7% efficiency, 335 yards passing, four touchdowns, two interceptions. And uh, then underneath it, there's a category that says S, and that's the season statistics. So if he throws another touchdown against Michigan, well, I could look. He had 11 coming in for the year. So that's his 12th touchdown pass of the year. So it's right there in front of me. Then I have all sorts of biographical information that I will update throughout the course of the year. Some of it I don't update at all. Uh, some I do. But it says 2019 uh, Academic Excellence Award. Three games started, 11 games played in 19. Career passing and rushing numbers coming in. Um, you know, all sorts of stuff, his career highs, his stuff in high school, uh, 94, it says 94 TDP Waddle versus VULL. That's a 94-yard touchdown pass to Jalen Waddle against Louisiana Lafayette in 18, second longest in Alabama history. 
uh, I have four and a star. So he was a four-star top 20 pro-style quarterback coming out of high school. Then I have written in, I have, for instance, uh, let me take somebody else here. Mm -hmm. Let's go to Najee Harris. Same basic thing here, although you see in Najee's case, you have something in orange right here, and it says two SEC, which means he's on the second team all SEC as voted by the coaches for that season. Uh, but I will have uh, number one in a circle down here. You probably can't see it. It's in pencil. It says one rush, 5.9 L31 LSU, which means he is the number one rusher on the ball club, averaging 5.9 yards a carry. L31 means his long rush was 31 yards against LSU. Same thing underneath that number. It says five in a circle. 5-R-E-C, the number five receiver on the ball club. 11.3 L42 USM. He's averaging 11.3 reception uh, yards per reception, a 42-yarder against Southern Mississippi. So I have all of these things uh, for both teams, for whether it's for, for Alabama or for Michigan. And and I do color code everything just because I do. Uh, here's the Michigan chart for the same for the same game. And whether it's Michigan or whether it's Alabama, you'll see some green highlighted splotches across the thing. That's anybody who's from the state of Alabama, just to reference it. So if the Michigan guy is making a play, uh, Devin Gill you know, whatever it is or whatever, where, you know, anybody, you, you have it in front of you so you don't have to start searching. Uh, then, of course, I have stuff that you should know, but just in case you forget, head coach Nick Saban. Then underneath that, I have Brian Baker, associate head coach, Jeff Banks, special team, Scott Cochran, strength and conditioning. Charles Huff, associate head coach. Then underneath that, since this is the offense, I have Steve Sarkeesian as the offensive coordinator. Jeff Banks, tight ends coach. Kyle Flood, O-line. Charles Huff, running backs. Holman Wiggins, wide receivers. So if I need to say something about a particular position coach, and if I don't want to start thinking about it, it's right there in front of me. Then I have the team comparison stats. This box right here is Bama offense, Michigan defense. And then the next chart, if this is the Alabama defense, would have Bama defense, Michigan offense. And on the Michigan charts, it's the same thing, Michigan offense against Alabama. And this way, it shows me exactly what the numbers are. First line is scoring. Alabama averaging 48.3 points per game. Michigan's defense giving up only 19.5. And then underneath it, in those little green boxes, it is if it's in a green box, that means they're in the top 20 in the nation. It says, well, maybe you can see here, it says Bama offense, and underneath it, it says SEC, and then FBS. So it shows me immediately that Bama is... First in the SEC in scoring, 
and second in America. Then it shows me for Michigan. They are fifth defensively in scoring in the Big Ten, and they are 18th in America. And every category in defense and offense is there, scoring, rushing, passing, efficiency, and so on. Uh, I have the schedules with the scores of every game on every chart. Uh, I have the score by quarters down here at the bottom. Uh, so if that comes into conversation. And then a few little things that I do. Uh, some of the numbers, like you'll see Evan Neal up here, right there. His number is pink. Well, it's the black number on a pink box. Anybody in a pink box is a true freshman. So you don't even have to look it up. You don't even have to look to see where he is or anything. If it's in a pink box, he's a true freshman. Um, so things of that nature uh, are on there. I have the punters here and the place kickers. And then down here I have the holder and the long snappers. Uh, everything that I will need, hopefully, is on these charts so I don't have to start... Uh, you know, searching during the game. And then, of course, for uh, for the other team, I will also have in a contrasting color, for instance, up here, the defensive end, you'll see that I have his name written phonetically because I'm not familiar with him all that well. And it, his first name is K-W-I-T-Y. Last name is P-A-Y-E. I don't want to have to think about it. So, it, I, you know, it's pronounced quitty pay. And I just write that in phonetically, as I do for anybody whose name might be a little bit unusual. Uh, but again, the same thing for the other team. Here are the coaches, you know. Here's Harbaugh and all of his assistant coaches and the defensive coaches and so on. Uh, here are all the comparison stats I talked about. Bama's offense, Michigan defense. So during a game, I'll have the Alabama offensive chart here the other team's defensive chart here. Then I'll flip them over when the ball changes hands, and it's still offense and defense, but it'll be Michigan's offense and the Bama defense. So, uh, but I mean, I have everything. Even in Michigan's case, uh, you know, who they when they played a team that was nationally ranked, not only do they have the game and the score and the date and all that, but I write in number 13. So Wisconsin was 13th in the nation the day they played them. Uh, then down here, 14 is Iowa. They were 14th, Iowa was, the day they played them, and so on. So I can look quickly and say, well, they've played six teams that are nationally ranked coming into the ball game today. Uh, so that's what I basically have. It, uh, it's, a, it's a long week of preparation, but uh, it pays off come Saturday. It certainly does, and we appreciate you showing us uh, those charts. I sent it to, I sent it to a guy who who puts it into that nice, neat format for me. Then he ships it to my FedEx office location here in uh, Birmingham. I go down and pick it up. But uh, So that's the, that's the procedure. But I'll start on that on Monday and, uh, you know, wait for the national rankings statistically to come out and all that stuff. And then it's very quickly uh, turned around. Because I have to have this by Wednesday night or Thursday. Because when I do the Nick Saban show Thursday... A, I'm staying in Tuscaloosa for the rest of the weekend if it's a home game. And B, I want to have this in front of me during that Saban show in case, you know, he talks about 
Joe Blow from Michigan, and I can say, yeah, Kalik Hudson, uh, he was a second team All Big Ten on you know last you know last season, and you know here it is written down, and he's the number one tackler. That's what else I do defensively. On on I in yellow, I will have number one T, number five T, number ten T. Uh, the number 10 tackler on the ball club. And again, the statistics, like I did last week, like I showed you for the offense, here their defensive statistics, 59 tackles, three and a half sacks, eight tackles for loss, a fumble caused, five quarterback hurries. So everything that's on the stat sheet is transferred to these charts, so I'm not sitting and, and shuffling papers on game day. And you mentioned as well, when you're calling the game, you have that spot chart, of course, is a great resource. But uh, when you're physically calling the game and you use the binoculars, just where do you watch the snap through the binoculars? When do you ever take the binoculars away? How do you really use that to help enhance your call? Uh, I, I use the binoculars until it is clear what the play is. If it's a running play, I keep them up. Uh, in my, you know, on my face, I, I'll stay with them right until the end of the play. If it's clear it's going to be a passing play, well, as soon as the quarterback drops back to throw, I'll pull the binoculars down so I can see who's where and what's going on and who might be free and so on and so forth. Uh, sometimes I will, well, more often than not, I'll double check myself, even though I do have a great spotter, as I mentioned in Butch, uh, you know, he'll point out who's deep on a kickoff you know he'll point to the guy on the chart because you know on these charts i even have a section for returns so uh, and he'll point to all right number eight and he'll point to the far side of the field and then he'll point to number 23 and he'll go like this means he's to the near side vis-a-vis the press box but i always double check that's just the way i am so I'll put the binoculars up and make sure I'd say eight over there and 23 over here. Um, and we do that more for in certain games when you're playing Tennessee and they have those hard-to-read numbers and so on. But uh, during a regular play, though, uh, the binoculars are up for the entire play if it's a run and for a uh, up in, until the quarterback drops back on a passing play. I'll start with basketball because I do my own boards for basketball. And uh, I don't know if you can see these here. I do them on Microsoft Word. And it, it comes on an 11, or let's see what size. 11, this is legal size. A legal size vanilla, uh, vanilla folder and a legal size, uh, you know, just regular printer paper. So it's, uh, what's that, 11 by 14, I think is what it is. And um, I've got both teams in hoops. One team on one side. This was number one Louisville and Eastern Kentucky last year, and then one team on the other. And then it goes by number and uh, player name, which I have really big, height, weight, points per game, rebounds per game. And then out here is kind of my area where I'll have four bullet points with every single player for the most part. I mean, and especially the starter, sometimes I'll have a little bit more. And and those are nuggets that I'll get to if that guy, you know, kind of goes off. He's at the free throw line. I got a chance to maybe work something in. If it's something the coach told me maybe uh, during shoot-around, you know, I've got some stuff there. And then underneath, I've got just some basics on stories. So underneath my roster, just some basic storylines I can get to. Some of it's handwritten in there after shoot-arounds. A lot of it is typed up. 
And uh, it's it's nice and tidy. I like to have my workspace clean. I, I can't have post-it notes all over the place. I can't have, you know, this storyboard here and the roster here, my board there. I don't function that way. I have to have one nice and tidy little thing that I made so I know where everything is. And then uh, – and just go from there. It'll have the coach, the record for the teams and all that stuff. Um, I, I'd say it's probably, in terms of intel, it's probably standard for most play-by-play guys. There's some guys that do more than this. Uh, there's some guys that do a lot less. So it's whatever works for you. But for basketball, I make every single one of these boards, bring them to shoot around. Uh, they're ready to go, and they're good to go. Now, th- those are easy, uh, especially if you have a, a package in the same conference like I've done the SEC the last couple of years. And I can just kind of you know, repurpose those with updated intel before every game. Uh, football is an entirely different animal. Um, this is what is this? This is UAB Tennessee last year as the Vols kind of uh, got their their deal going. Um, I think what they reel off seven or eight wins, six or seven wins in a row to close down the season. And, and this is much more much more detailed. This board is made for me by a service. Um, they, they do a pretty good job with it. They send me, you know, just the players. I have it mapped out by position. Here's all my running backs. Here's my quarterbacks, the offensive line up top, receivers all on one side. I've got a schedule and those things. But the thing is here is in football, there's many more handwritten notes. And so this is all from our coaches' meetings. And they're basically just triggers for any kind of, of intelligence or stories that we can put on a broadcast. I, I would say, you know, at ESPN, there's more of a priority on storytelling. And, uh, you know, you, you document the game first and foremost. Don't misconstrue that. But if I'm sitting there telling you that Jarek Garantano last year completed, you know, 54% of his passes in the red zone and I'm spitting out stat after stat, I, I'm going to be putting people to sleep. I think play-by-play has gotten away from the basics of that in the last 10 years or so, uh, much more than, let's say, the previous 50 years. And what I mean by that is there's more of a priority with a lot of of companies and networks on storytelling. And, uh, Roger, I know you and I have talked about this a good bit. Storytelling, uh, being entertaining, um, while also documenting the game in a proper way, is a pretty big deal uh, because there, you know, a lot of people can just get out there and say, "Well, it's a five-yard game, third and four coming up. Tennessee's forty percent on third down this year. They're, you know, ninety-fourth in the country in third-down conversion." Yeah, most of the fans, if they, they care about that, probably already know that. So, what can I tell them that they don't know? How can we present this in a way that is not boring, but is not over the top? And it's not that you want to become bigger than the game. You never want to do that. But it's, but it's certainly a, a different vibe and a different spiel, I think, than even a decade ago. And, and you can say, well, why is that? Well, the answer is because people have so many other things to do. A lot of people are watching the game and looking at their phone and scrolling through social media. A lot of people are watching the game from a bar. Maybe the sound's on, maybe it's not. A lot of people are doing two other things, whatever they may be, uh, you know, while they're watching the game. And so uh, that that's important. You have to take that into account, I think, in broadcasting and i think you know as a society we're all learning okay well what does this mean and what do people want to hear what's too much what's not enough and uh so you know it again that's evolving and i think it's very important evolving is a key word in life and also just in in what we do but my football boards are much more detailed uh to get ready for a football game takes me all damn week i mean it's i love doing it i love the prep work 
basketball, it's boom, boom, boom. It's a two-hour broadcast. Football can be four and a half hours. Uh, and, you know, there, there's just so much at stake. Uh, so football, we're talking to the head coaches, both coordinators, both quarterbacks, and usually a handful of other players to try to get a feel for what's happening and, and to get some stories, to get some stories and understand what makes these guys or girls who they are. And what story do they have to tell? What story does Jarek Garantano or Mac Jones have to tell that we haven't heard yet? Or Najee Harris or Trevor Lawrence? And, you know, for the bigger teams, that's a more difficult find. And it requires more work. For a team like UAB a year ago that resurrected itself like a phoenix from the ashes just two seasons ago, I mean, there was a ton for us to get into in that game because, I mean, Bill Clark is a badass and most of the country doesn't know about him. So, um, you know, that, that's a little easier to tell that story because not a lot of not as many people know. But for the bigger programs, but you got to work. And it's not just reading the game notes and saying, well, you know, they've won four games in a row and they've never lost on this date in history. Well, a lot of people are already reading the game notes themselves. you got to come up with something a, a, a bit more uh, compelling than that. So the football boards are based on a lot of that and handwriting stuff out, committing it to memory and just getting ready. Uh, to be able to tell those stories quickly, concisely, and entertaining manner um, whenever you're given that ability or given that opportunity. I'm basically just going to yield the floor to Professor Price. We understand you have football, basketball, and baseball charts ready to go. So I'll just kind of let you uh, start with football. We'll go to basketball and baseball, and then we'll pick it up from there. No, you said bring charts, so so (laughs) I have brought charts. Um, So this is what the football chart started as, and... Hope you can see that. Uh, I'll hide behind it. Your screen will just improve because I'm gone here. Um, <laughs> this is kind of a combination of a couple of guys. Uh, there is some Bob Kessling in here because of the manila folder. And there is some Woody Durham in here because Woody had the boxes. Now, this is a spring game chart from a couple of years ago. So you got the same team on there. But the reason I kind of got away from it was if you look at it, it looks pretty busy. Um, There's a whole lot of stuff on there. Uh, And this is just a spring game, mind you. This is not even an actual game with two teams playing. Um, But it's it's basic. It's two or three deep, depending on the guys that play at a given position. You've got the vitals below. There are no stats on this one just because it's a spring game. And then all the stuff in green on the periphery here – these are things that I thought were important to talk about or things that I wanted to, to try to touch on over the course of the game with Matt and with Jay. So uh, that's what you see in that one. And specialist always off on the side just because I think it's easier to keep up with. You see I've got down here questions specifically I want to talk to Jay about. Um, it's kind of stream of consciousness. Once you get beyond, once you get beyond the boxes, uh, anything kind of goes in, in, in the margins. So um, I just found it to be a little bit too busy. And maybe more importantly, my spotter found it to be too busy and made it tough for him to, to pick up on where he needed to go to find the information quickly. So that evolved into what we've been using for the last two years which comes primarily from Jack Crystal. Um, Matt White, I told you, does the games with me. Uh, Matt played in the Cotton Bowl. I think the last year he was on the state team in 99, and 
Jack's daughter was kind enough after Jack passed to give Matt a spot board with his name on it from that Cotton Bowl game against Texas. So Matt shows that to me after we go speak to a group one night uh, in North Mississippi. And I said, you know, this this would really work. So it's it's two boards, not one. But basically, Jack had all these squares and every player on his board got a square. They don't all get a square on mine. I like to split the squares up again because you just got so many guys who play. Um, but this would be defense. So State was playing with four down linemen. So the guys at the very top were the starters and then falling in behind with regard to where they are on the two, day, two deep. Linebackers here, corners, and safeties. And uh, again, you've got the name, the vitals, uh, stats in red, anything that's significant there. I don't put stats down for everybody in football because there are just too many of them. And if it's something that's relevant, if they lead the league or they're in the top, you know, in the league in certain categories, it's worth putting on there. But I don't reference the numbers a ton outside of situations, third downs, what they need to do there. Um, and then on the other side, you've got the opposing defense. So in this case, Tennessee's defense uh, from the game in Knoxville. And more information, just because I knew the state team pretty well by that point, and the Tennessee team is the one that you, you're only going to see one time. So more there in the event that something comes up that's noteworthy. And the same thing on offense. So offensive line at the top, um, then you've got wide receivers, tight end, excuse me, over here, uh, and then quarterback, running back, wide receivers, and all the specialists again down the side and coaches down here in the event you need to reference anything there. Um, same thing for Tennessee on offense. And again, vitals. Um, I color code everything um, just because it's easier for me to pick up on, even the teams. And sometimes it's hard to find the right color to match the right team. Uh, but we try to get as close as we can with that. And um, I handwrite it every week for better or for worse, and it is a process. Uh, I will tell you that. A lot of those lines are drawn in by hand, too, to separate some of those boxes, depending on if we need three or even four deep at a given position late in the year, or injuries or anything else that pops up. So, um, And I find it just helps me to, to remember. Uh, Woody Durham told me he, hand, he did everything by hand, and the reason he did it by hand was because he'd remember it. I used to do it on a computer, and I didn't think I could retain the information. And when I started doing it all by hand, it was, it was much better for me. And uh, even though it takes longer, it's worth, I think, the extra investment the time. Speaking of Woody, okay, uh, basketball. So this, this is the game that never happened. Uh, the last game that I was supposed to do was Tennessee and Alabama at the SEC tournament in Nashville. And I walked on the floor about an hour before we were supposed to go on the air, and Phil Brame met me uh, before I got to the free throw line, and he said, we're done. We're not going to play. And uh, so this was, this was the chart. And uh, you won't see any scoring or anything like that on there because the game never happened, but you will see the notes and the preparation and hopefully gather something from that. This is a much larger version of, of uh, something like Woody Durham used at Carolina, and that's where I got the idea from. 
and you've got all your players, um, guys that maybe don't play as much. I split the lines at the bottom to save space just in case they get in the game. Uh, you want to be able to say something about everybody, I think, when they get in because they've earned a spot. Um, up here, number of games they've played and in parentheses, a number of times they've fouled out or been disqualified. Uh, name, vitals, um, over here in red, uh, I do points, rebounds. If they have an assist, a steal, or a block number that's significant, that'll make it on there too. Um, blue is field goal percentage, and then in parentheses, a number of three-point field goals they've made. Green is free throw percentage, and in parentheses, the number of attempts that a player has had at the free throw line. And then nobody uh, – I'm looking to see, does anybody on this roster – no one has a number – note of any kind but if there's a significance to the number that they wear i'll note that in this box down here james bolden beetle beetle was a nickname so i put beetle there in the number spot just to have a little more space um and notes out here I also keep scoring these columns for the players i'll keep a running score in the margins here uh to try and keep up with runs things that might happen in a game and then bigger stories at the bottom, maybe one or two small ones on a team up here at the top in the margins. Again, it's very stream of consciousness. Um, where, what comes into your mind, where do you have space to write it? Uh, that's that's kind of how it works for me. Uh, I'm looking to see if there's anything else on here. Well, there's one less team on here now, I can tell you <laughs> that. Um, I've had this folder for years, my mother worked in a hospital for 49 years, and they'd have these old doctor's charts lying around, and she'd pass along these old doctor's charts, and they made great covers for the basketball score sheets, so that's how I got into using them. I use a very color-coded score. I don't write a lot of notes in it, first of all. Um, I'll put the full names and the number and the position in the lineup. Um, yeah, I'll, write it, I'll write it small so that I have some space for extra guys. I'll put the defense and I'll put the pitcher and I, I write in the standings and that's it. I, I go. I, I don't I don't put any notes. I don't put their batting averages. I really don't care about batting averages or anything like that anymore. I don't I I used to be so stat heavy and now I am one hundred percent the opposite. I am I am completely done with stats. I just I almost don't care about them at all at this point because for what we're trying to do on the radio and on the on these broadcasts is is tell stories and be entertaining and I don't think anyone is entertained by somebody's weighted on base average now I might know it and I might give it to you in a totally different way um, where I'll say based on this stat which means this Ahmed Rosario gets on base the fourth most among shortstops in the National League but I will never tell you what those numbers are because they don't matter who cares who cares what his weighted on base average is it, it matters what it is and relative to everybody else. So I'll try to give you that before I give you any numbers. I don't want to overload you with numbers. I want to be able to say that Ahmed Rosario gets on base more than any other shortstop in the National League, but nobody's going to regurgitate that his on-base average is 360. It doesn't matter. Um, so I, I think I tried to focus on it in those ways. So that's why I don't, I don't really write those numbers in my book. The only time I'll write things in my book as if a note comes along, you know, if there was, if someone stole three bases in a game for the first time in six years, um, I'll put, I'll jot that down in my, in my book. 
Um, I like that. I like those kind of numbers or stats where you can go back and say, you know, the what somebody had a three home. Lucas Duda had a three homer game at City Field, and it was the third three home run game at the uh, at a Mets home game ever. Um, you know, which is I find remarkable for a team that's almost sixty years old. That they've they've only had three three home run games in their home ballpark in their team history. So, you know, you, you mentioned that. You talk about the other two times it happened, um, you know, which one was Kirk Neuenheis, and, you know, you kind of make a little story out of that. I'd I, I rather that than, than me tell you how many home runs, you know, Duda's now got off right-handed pitcher this year. Like, who cares? Um, so that's, that's where I'm at with all that stuff. So my book's pretty clean. I like it clean. The only difference, the only thing that stands out about my book is that it's completely color-coded. I've, I use green marker for singles, I use orange marker for triples, blue for doubles, red for strikeouts, um, I use purple for errors, I, I, everything has its own color. So that's where you'll open my book and you'll see this rainbow of, of colors, um, so you'll, you, you know, it stands out in that way. But again, that's just for when I can glance down and see blue and I know it's a double, I don't have to, I don't have to say, is that a two or a three? I don't have to do anything. I just look at the colors and I know what I've got in there. Getting that information and color coding it, and I did it with marks a lots, you know, in those days, that was part of the prep for me. That's the fun of the job. So I pretty much do the same thing now. I get a, a, a great deal of my preparation done other ways with additional help today from other resources, but I still have to do my boards my way. I can take some of their information, but I've got to construct it on cardboard or on a really big, and I do mean big, board. For And the older I get, the bigger the board gets. <laughs> it's so big, I can't put it in an overhead bin. I need help to get it on a plane. Okay, It's that big. I have a huge portfolio uh, case. People think I'm an architect Okay, when I get on, or you know, I'm, I'm holding some sort of Picasso painting when I get on the plane. <laughs> But um, this is uh, an example. This is the uh, Washington. This is the Apple Cup game. Washington State, Washington, the final weekend of the college football season. And you can see there, that's the uh, Washington State offense against the Washington defense. And flip it over, and it's just the opposite. And some of that information you can see is tight. And it may have come from other resources, but most of it is handwritten. And the anecdotal material looks like chicken scratch to you, okay? But it matters to me, and I know I wrote it. And if I wrote it down, I know it's true. I know I got it directly from the coach. I get so caught up in writing this and having fun filling it out. It really is fun. I mean, I think of my preparation time as fun time. But by the time the game starts, because I've written it myself, and this is purely generational, uh, a lot of guys today can go on their computers and their laptops, dial stuff up, call the game right from there. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of great ones do. Not me. If I don't write it down, I don't commit it to memory. And I dare say most of this material never makes air, okay? But because it's there, because I wrote it down, because i it's, it's here. Being armed with that kind of information, knowing that you know as much as you do about these two teams, 
gives you the confidence to speak with authority. And I think that's the, the real key, is commanding the audience into believing that you know more than you're telling. And that's the real key, is being armed with the preparation, but at the same time, knowing judgmentally what to use, what not to use in a given moment. So those are two factors for me that are absolutes. Preparation and judgment. Preparation, no substitute for it, but then the judgment of knowing what hits the editing room floor. Because if you just because you do this homework doesn't mean America needs to hear it. They only need to hear it when the time is right or when it's comfortable. If there's not a dead ball situation, story I want to tell about how this Samoan kid grew up and how he was uh, commandeered by the Oregon offensive line coach. I don't. People don't want to hear that when we're in the middle of a drive, 50 yards, and the ball's at the 18-yard line. They're concerned about their team getting in. Uh, launching into some sort of human interest story when the ball's in the red zone is not always the thing to do. So you got to be very, very concerned about editing yourself through having great judgment. And frankly, it takes a while for a lot of people uh, to, to figure that out. And, um, you know, I, I feel like people say to me all the time, Tim, you sound so vibrant, so energetic and enthusiastic. And, and the reason for that is I'm finally doing now what I always wanted to do, just games. 